You're now listening to Your Real Money Stories podcast. Financial abuse is not something that's very common or it's not commonly spoken about. Secondly, when it's your mother, you don't want to believe that they're abusing you. You don't even want to think it. It just felt like, oh, okay, well, I'm the oldest child. You know, she struggled so much to come here. Um, Although she was here for a good while before she had me. You know, it's the least I can do. Hi guys, I'm Ashley. I'm Eve. And I'm Nick. And we are The Money Medics. And we're your hosts of Your Real Money Stories. An original podcast series brought to you in association with Zopa. The podcast where we'll be giving you the unfiltered truth about money through anonymous confessions and unfiltered opinions. As well as providing useful information and resources for each topic we discuss. And we have to say, this isn't financial advice. These are just our views. So we're back with another episode. It's been an interesting few weeks. I'm sure you guys have just seen the news of what's been going on in the news with the Free Britney movement. And I'll explain a bit later as to how this ties in with the episode. But a lot of people believe it's not possible to be financially abused by their parents. Um, but it is possible, you know, because the definition includes your family members and partners. So although the Free, the free Britney movement is an extreme case, what happens when you're told to give up your income and take out loans on your behalf of your parents? So in this episode, we're going to touch on some really important themes. It's going to get sometimes a little bit emotional and, and interesting, but also kind of touch on some cultural beliefs. So as always, there's three sections of this podcast. First, we'll hear a personal story from our anonymous guests. We'll discuss our own opinions and then share some tips. So today we're joined by Farida. Uh, and of course, that's not her real name. But yeah, Farida, how's your day been? It's a Monday and it's actually one of those Mondays where I'm literally 10 minutes in. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going on read. <laughs> um, but apart from that, it's been okay. Tell us, um, like, what did your parents teach you about money and what was the attitude towards money? Oh gosh, what did my parents teach me about money? So from as long as I can remember, um, my mum's always just blown through money. <laughs> literally get a bit of money, blow through it. Um... My dad has always been the super frugal, frugal person, scrimping and saving and that kind of thing. Funny enough, my dad didn't really teach me that or not. He would sort of say, you know, make sure you save, but never really say why. And then my mum would say, make sure you save. And there'd obviously be a reason why. I'd say when I was younger, there were certain uh, behavioural patterns that I'd see over and over again. But, you know, at that age, I was quite young. So, so it didn't really make sense to me. It's only as I've gotten older, you know, where perhaps I would see my mum sort of get paid and you'd know she'd get paid because she'd buy something outlandish for us. So at the time that was like, we'd all go to some fancy pants restaurant in Chinatown and we'd eat something, even though there was nothing absolutely to celebrate. You know, she just loves Chinese food. Whereas my dad would sort of get paid and still pretend like he hadn't been paid. For anyone who's familiar with London or South East, there used to be shop. This there used to be the shop called Peppermint. Now we lived in East London, but one would try to make us go all the way to South East London for Peppermint. And Peppermint was essentially like a designer shop for children, so like Machino, and those are the kind of designers where she would kit us all three of us, my siblings and I. It's also designers from head to toe because at that party on Saturday, her kids had to be the ones reigning. Um, and so you know. For as long as I can remember, I mean, you know, my mum always prioritised how we appear as a family to others. Um, 
whereas my dad's always been super super duper frugal money was discussed in our house but my mum is more the powerhouse and my dad was more sort of like the you know the quiet person mm-hmm. kudos to my mum we'd never lacked for anything um in if anything she probably overdid i remember there was this one time for my 10th birthday party oh my god my dad came to me and he was like okay so you're turning 10 and you're having your holy communion do you want a big birthday party or do you want a computer we're thinking about it's literally like late 90s late 90s so a computer was a big thing back then and me being the kind of child i was i was like i want a computer mm. it's like no problem two weeks later mom's like yeah you're having a big party we are we've called over 500 people mm? 500 people and i actually remember saying to my dad dad i don't want the party i want the computer it's like just let your mom do what she wants to do and I remember the day, I mean, I remember being 10 years old and still being really miserable at this party because in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm having this party. That means I can't have a computer. And true to form, you know, I've still seen like the VHS tapes of this party. And this party was in a big fat sports hall. There was a gajillion people I didn't know. And they all apparently turned up for my 10th birthday. And honestly, even as a 10 year old, I looked quite miserable. Um... But what I didn't know was at the back of it that my, in order to make that party happen, because that's what my mum wanted to do, she's, you know, very much into parties, like the typical African woman, but sort of kind of extreme, was that she'd sort of, not sort of, she had gone to borrow from just about everyone you could imagine to make that party happen. She basically was paying for that party up until two years afterwards. No. And so she'd gone to, like, get credit cards and stuff like that to go and fund that party. And, the, you know, like, even up until the age of, like, 14, she'd be like, oh, but when you were 10, you know, you had this big party. And I just remember saying to her one time, you know, and I was brave enough to, and I'd found my voice, so I was a bit older. I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask for the party. <laughs> I wanted a computer. You wanted the party. Which is true. It's so bizarre because in my culture, they have this thing called spraying, right? So Nigerian culture, you know, you throw a big party, people come and spray you. And I think the way my mum thinks about it is that whatever you get sprayed (laughs) in dollars um, will offset the cost of the party. Yeah. I mean, did I get sprayed? Yeah, maybe I did. But I can't imagine she made more than, I mean, after you converted it, maybe like £600. And she probably spent about twenty thousand pounds putting that party together according to my what my dad's told me so this was like 1999 twenty thousand pounds for the 10th birthday it seems like your mum spent a lot on you on you guys well you know you can it's debatable who she was spending it for but she still spent a lot on you guys so when did things flip what was the first memory you have of your mum actually asking you for money rather than her spending on you when did things change I was 14. I had my phone confiscated for talking to boys that night. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was talking to this guy I really liked. And I was like, no, I need to get a secret phone. So I saved up my spending. I saved up my lunch money for like maybe seven weeks. And I think I managed to save up between like beg, well, begging, asking my dad for money and saving up for lunch money, maybe like a hundred pounds or something Ooh. to buy like, I don't know, like a 3210 or whatever at the time. And so she came to me in it first thing in the morning and she was like, oh, you know, I know you're... And it's not like I had the money in my account. This was literally like a hair jar that I'd emptied and cleaned out, filled with like £2, £1.50ps, that kind of thing. And she was like, oh, you know, give me your jar. I need to buy something for you guys. Um, I'll give you the money back. So I was like, oh, okay, you're my mum. No problem. I'll give you the money. No problem. So I gave her the money. 
Um, never saw that again. I did ask a couple of times, but she just started like barking at me and yelling at me, saying, oh, well, I brought you here. Like, you know, how can you ask me for this money? Think of everything I've done for you. There was also another instance around about that age where, so my mum loves gold as a Nigerian woman. She absolutely loves gold. I mean, quite a few of them do. And so, you know, I had a really nice gold chain that she bought for me a couple of years before. And so one morning she came to me, she was like, oh, give me your chain. I want to go and uh, make the cross bigger. I was like, no, but I like the cross the way it is. Like, why do you want me to take it off? And it's been mm. blessed. She's like, no, just give it to me. So I gave it to her. Yeah, I never saw that chain again. Till this day, I've never seen that chain again. Wow. I've actually never seen that chain again. Um, and she's like, to find out that she's actually done the same to my siblings as well. Um so so you know at 14 15 i was like what's wrong with mum because i think after a while your eyes sort of start to open you start to see your parents they're your parents yeah but they're also people and i'm like something is up with mum whenever she has money it sort of just goes right through her hand she never seems to hold on to it and she's always like begging or asking people for money like her friends and stuff so i was just like hmm this is strange I think it all came to a head when I turned 16 and I got my first little cute job. What were you, what were you doing that, in that job? Oh, I worked in Primark. Yeah, yeah, I worked in Primark. And, you know, when you're 16, you're new to money. So you're like, oh, I'm going to work all the hours God can give me. Yeah. So I think maybe I was making like maybe two, no, maybe like three, four hundred pounds a month. Okay, that's good. What's it for 16? And so my mum, as soon as she knew it was my payday, because, you know, these are things you share with your parents. Um, yeah. She would often come to me just before payday and be like, oh... Let me hold £200 for you. Let me hold £300 for you. What do you even need the money for? Let me save it for you. (laughs) That's another angle. She'll say, let me save it for you. I'll be stacking it up to the side for you. Um, Just that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Let me give it to my mum. Then I turned 17 and I was like, oh, mum, how far for the money you've been saving for me? I'd like to start my driving. She's like, which money? I was like, no, no, no. I've given you like over £1,000. Where's all the money? She's like, no, there's no money. I've spent it. I was like, are you, you going to give it back to me? She's like, I'm your mother. I gave birth to you. That money is gone. I was like, oh. Wow. Do you know what that line is? A very common line for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So even through all of this, when my parents were still together anyways, my dad often would give me advice and he would say things like, he would literally pull me to a corner and be like, if mom asks you for money, don't give her don't give her any money but he wouldn't tell me why so i'm just like oh i'm not listening to that. that's my mum. she gave birth to me. why wouldn't i give her money <sighs> well i seem pained for it that's really interesting yeah that fact that your dad is actually warning you in advance that is really really interesting and now looking back you probably might understand the reason why he was saying that so different things like when he when she would ask you for money what type of things would she be using the money for do do you know parties ah i see nigerian parties ashwabi that's like cloth of the people of the party people parties gold she was telling her friends she was like a businesswoman flying around trying to be a businesswoman um you know my mom has a very sharp eye for beautiful things and so you know often people would ask her to like fly to europe or whatever to buy beautiful beautiful even fabric or cloth or jewelry for her she would buy them but because she doesn't have money management she would use her work money to fund the business money and all just start to get muddled um 
And so eventually, you know, you pay, borrow from Peter to pay Paul and Paul to pay John and just starts going around in one silly circle. Um, I think for me, it all sort of came to a head when I turned 18. Two months after I turned 18, she took me to a loan company. Um, now, I, I knew a bit about finance, but not that much. And she was like, oh, I really need a loan. I was like, oh, okay. And no, she's sorry. She said, I really need some money. I'm like, okay, cool. What are we doing here? She said, um, what are you going to do? She said, don't tell your dad. That was the first mistake. She told me, don't tell your dad. I was like, all right, cool. No problem. So she was like, I need to take a loan. I need the money for something. But if you can get me this loan, um, I'll give you a hundred pounds. So I just thought, oh, okay. Three hundred pounds, no problem. So we went there. Wait, how much was the loan for? The loan was for 2K. It was with a company that's now defunct. So I took it out December, December of the year I turned 18. So literally just two months after my birthday or so. Um, and then we took out for 2K. I signed for it. You know, even at the time, and as fuzzy as it is going quite far back, I still remember like the salesman being quite, just not weird, but just dishonest. Mm. Some of the things he said, and you know, this was before the whole PPI scandal. So I can believe that. What did he say? I think it's just something like, oh, you know, it's fine. People do this all the time. Don't worry. Yeah, like we can even pay the money into your mum's account, which is true. They, it was paid into my mum's account. I signed for that. In terms of the 2K went into her account, the uh, debt repayment was paid from her account. So I literally had no sight of anything going on. Cool. So didn't worry about it because I was going off to uni. And for the first year or so, she paid it. During my second year... I went abroad for a year abroad and I didn't come home at all during that year. Towards the latter end of the year, July, so I'm sort of getting ready to come home but not quite ready to come home or leave where I was. Um, my dad Skypes me when Skype was a thing. And so he says to me, oh, like, Farida, how far? I'm like, Dad, what's up? He said, I've got this letter. It says you have a CCJ. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have a CCJ. He's like, you have a CCJ. Here's the letter. So he sent me a picture via email. And I was like, oh my God. You know, that's the company that's the company I went to with mum. She told me to take out the loan. Whoa. She was like, why would you do that? What did I tell you? I was like, oh, she told me not to tell you. He's like, of course she's going to tell you that. Oh God. You know, that episode of my life was really ugly. It was really, 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 really ugly. Going back the time, I really wanted to, when I left uni, the plan was to go into finance. And so when you're doing, you know, you're looking for like um, internships and all these grad placements, a lot of them were saying like, oh, they check financial credit and stuff like that. They check credit history. And if you have anything untoward, you can't do that. When I eventually made it back to the UK and we had a big family meeting, you know, she was sat there. I hadn't now, I hadn't seen her for a year. She was sat there with all the aunties and uncles. She was not apologetic in the least. What? What did she say? Like, how did she... She was like, uh uh-huh. And so? She was like, I couldn't afford to pay it. I said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? She said, well, only to find out that I'd come back and she'd taken out Sky on my name without my permission. So I had like a a Sky Mm. bill that was in arrears. Wow. And then so when I, I remember calling the Sky person or one of the Sky representatives or whatever, and they were like, oh, what do you mean your mum took out like a contract on your name? I'm like... It's my mum. They were like, how could she do that? I'm like, she gave birth to me. She knows everything about me. How could she not do it? Do you understand what I mean? She knows my date of birth. She knows where I live. She knows everything about me. Um, why didn't you do your due diligence? But back then that wasn't really a thing either. 
Um, and so I dropped out of uni. I think I was really depressed. Actually, no, I wasn't. I was depressed at the time. I was going for counselling and, and therapy. It was a really low moment, actually. I can look back and smile on it now. But at the time, it was really low. So I dropped out of uni. I thought, you know what, forget this. I can't even do the career I want to do. So I went into work. Um, and obviously, I didn't have a degree. I just spent two years in uni. So I basically had to start at the bottom. I got a retail job that I hated. But I stuck it out. And I was like, I was doing internships at the same time. That's the kind of person I've always been. I was like, you know, I'm going to put my foot in the door. If I can't make it in this field, I'm going to make it in that field. And I worked hard to um, essentially pay off that loan. Just to backtrack a bit. So you took out £2,000 for your mum yeah. um, around the age of 18. But before then, so did it go from like small bits of money into the £2,000? Or was it like a continuous, like the money was slowly increased, like the amount that she was asking was slowly increasing over time? What was the pattern like? Increasing over time, as I made more money, the ask became bigger and greater and even more ludicrous. And how, how often would she ask you? My mom is the master manipulator. She's a people person like me. So she will, she finds out people's ways what makes them tick. So my mom knows the kind of person I am is if you want something from me, uh-huh. you have to ginger me. Do you know, you like boost my ego a little bit. That's how you get through to me. Oh. Oh. So she did that. Then after a while I caught on to that. So I was like, nope, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not giving it to you. So what she'll do, she'll come after a while, she's decided that she'll come into my room at, like, early in the morning, 5.30, 6, before she goes to work, and she'll sit in my room and tap me lightly, call my name, and ask me for stuff while I'm sleeping, knowing that while I'm sleeping, I want to get back to sleep. I'll just roll over and give her what she wants. Yeah, and that's basically how, how she does it. So then, so, so for example, let's say she asks you for something when you're sleeping. When you wake up, don't you, like, say no or... Like, what happens when you wake up and then she says, that, oh, but you already said yes. You don't tell my mum no. You can't tell my mum no. My mum doesn't hear no. She never has. She probably never will. Um, even her, fr- oh, even her friends, the friends that she's done, what she's done to me, to them, they all say that she doesn't understand no. Like, if she asks you for something, how dare you not have it for her? Like, how do you have the effrontery to tell her that you don't have it for her? That's my mum's extremely entitled. I'm aware of that. So if if you actually did say no, like would she kick off or like what was what what would be her reaction? I only just learned how to say no, so I don't know what her reaction would have been then at that time. I see. Because I didn't know how to say no then. Now, well, we'll get to what her reaction is now when I say no. It's wild though. <laughs> <laughs> Financial abuse is not something that's very common or it's not commonly spoken about. Secondly, when it's your mother, you don't want to believe that they're abusing you. You don't even want to think it. So it didn't, it it just felt like, oh, okay, well, I'm the oldest child. You know, she struggled so much to come here. Um, although she was here for a good while before she had me. You know, it's the least I can do. You know, she's given me the red passport, the pinnacle of all there is in life. <laughs> if you're a particular Nigerian. <laughs> You're saying that you you saw different sides to your your mum you never saw before, like because you talk about like you you can't say no or the, at the time you couldn't say no, so like what type of things would she do to try and emotionally blackmail you or just kind of make you feel like you can't say no? Are there any particular tactics she would use? 
at during that time, that particular time, my dad had left not too long ago. And so she used to say stuff like, you know, it's only me. It's only me with you three kids. How am I going to do it? You need to help me. Your dad's not helping me. I told her many a times that you can go and, you know, get child support or whatever from him. But I don't think that's the thing that's done in Nigerian or Nigerian of my mum's generation. She was like, no, like, it's only you and I, you and I. And I'm like, I even back then, I was like 19, 20, I thought, I don't think it's a really healthy relationship. But I was just like, okay, you know, if my sister calls me and she's like, I need X, Y and Z, I'm going to work or give her the money so that she can buy whatever she needs for school at that time. And the same goes for my, my brother. Um, and so essentially that was you know, the angle that she used at that time. So at the time, was your mum in employment? So was she working on time? Oh, she's always worked. She's one of the most hardworking people I know. She is always working, 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 working. That's all she knows how to do. Based on what you think she earns, do you think she earns enough to be able to support herself on her own if she wanted to? I think in her mind, she because she, she, at the time anyway, she was getting paid weekly. She think I think she thought she earned more money than she actually did. Mm. Um, and she's never had good money management. So as soon as she gets money, she can't help but spend it. Um, and her salary, maybe, I would say maybe like mid-30s, but I'm taking a guess. Um, so she made enough money, but she made foolish decisions with her money. The amount of money remittances is back to Nigeria on projects that go nowhere because families stolen the funds or whatever countless so it's not all entirely her fault you know um there's something about nigerians or of my mum's generation anyways um and i get that you know this isn't really their home kind of is but not really they want to go back home but you know even till today i still advise my mum see don't build anything go and buy a small flat and live in it nope she wants to build the biggest fattest mansion you ever did see and i'm just like i don't know why in our culture, we have to oppress each other with our wealth or perceived wealth. What was the most amount that you've ever, she's ever asked for or you've ever had to borrow to give her, etc.? What was the most? Um, okay, so in 2019, she came to me and she asked me to give her 6K. And I didn't have, well, I had the cash at the time, but I didn't want to give her. So I took out a loan for her. Uh, maybe she paid for about, two months she stopped paying so i've been paying off ever since so i'm 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 curious if like you know that you've had like these um past experiences with her especially i know you mentioned previously that you took out a two thousand pound loan um prior with this like ten thousand pound loan did you think she had changed or what what made you take it out for her right she started a five day and night campaign of coming to my room, because we are living together at the time, to make the rent cheaper. It didn't really work out that way, but okay. Um, so she would come to my room in the morning before work, around 5.36, cry, and I mean cry tears for money, for 6K. Just, just 6K, which isn't just if you don't have it, right? Um, and then she'd get home at 10 at night and sit in my room for a couple of hours, cry and beg. She did that for five days. So after five days, she wore me down. So I took out a loan for her. She paid for two months and then um, she's not paid since and I'm still paying it till today. What did she say the money was for? So she was doing something called Owajo, which in my language means contribution or partner. 
And so she'd gone to join a contribution or partner or, I don't know, I think they call it in circle or family circle or something in the UK of a thousand pounds a month. So a contribution is essentially like a money circle. Well, let's say you and five of your friends decide to get together and each and, one, each and every one of you are going to save a hundred pounds a month, for example, put it into, you know, an account of someone you trust and each month, each month even, one person in your group gets £500 until it's gone around the circle. So the idea is that it's community saving, if you like, Um, helping the community to save and, you know, give you capital for for any project, whatever you might want to do. The funny thing I find about money circles is that if you could save £100 five times and give it to someone else, you could also just keep it in your own account, keep it for yourself. It's such a bizarre concept to me. Maybe it's that level of accountability that people need as well well yes but more shame for the people that did it with my mum she asked me for money for the contribution because she was two and a half months behind and her friends were basically calling her and insulting her on the phone and in nigerian culture that's a big thing like you don't do that mm. you, probably, you probably don't tell the story i'm telling but here we are um then she was behind in the arrears because at the time we were all living together um so i paid for that I was so happy that she didn't throw a party for her most recent birthday. And she didn't, you know, she said she wants to go to church and do a very small Thanksgiving. Lo and behold, at this point, she hadn't told me she was in a contribution or partner group or whatever. And so it was only a couple of months after her birthday when she started this campaign. And she's like, oh, you know, I just need 6,000, actually maybe like 7,000 pounds, blah, blah, blah. I need to pay this. I need to give this person money. You know, they're saying they're going to slap me if they see me on the street. And it got to a point where I was like, I th- you might just have to hold that slap because I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do. Um, she was like, they're going to repossess my car. And she's like, oh, you know, there is, you know, our landlady's going to throw us out. And I'm like, you know, I told, I have quite a very good relationship with my previous landlady. And I said, listen, this ain't me. <laughs> the money that you're owed it's not me <laughs> it's not and at this point when we're all living together you know I was paying the majority of the rent I was paying majority of the bills because mum doesn't pay bills not that she doesn't she can't or she won't I'm still not sure which one it is but essentially she's one of those people that pay late never pay in full that kind of thing so I gave in um, I took out the loan for her I gave her some cash as well to top up so last last maybe it came to like just over 10k um, yeah till today like literally till this day I'm still paying off. I'm almost there though. And I'm hoping to use like my bonus this year to pay off the rest of it. Um, but this last one, how it affected our relationship. Um, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know. Sometimes I wish you were dead. I feel like there's freedom in her death. I know it sounds quite wild. Like how can you wish your mother was dead? But because, you know, it's not, you know, and I want you listeners to understand, it's not like I'm coming here to put my mum on blast, but I think some people need to recognise what, A, what financial abuse looks like and the black tax, what it's doing to my generation, you know, having to send money up the wrong way up your family line. It's it's not easy. And so for me, even as I am today, you know, big grown woman, I still feel like there's no freedom until she dies. And I know, I know she's going to have the audacity to live for a long time. When you look at it uh, retrospectively, like, do you ever feel like um, she stopped you from reaching any particular life goals? Like now that you're in your thirties now, like, what do you feel? 
You know, when I'm feeling really low, even now, about some of the choices I made in life, you know, I have a good life and I have a good job and I thank God so much because, you know, I've really, in the last few years, or last couple of years, I've managed to pull my life around and it even surprises myself. But in those quiet moments when I've just... Because I still have a relationship with my mum now. She's still my mum. I just think to myself, if I didn't get that CCJ, or if I didn't even take out that loan for her, and, you know, my dad never called me to tell me that I got a CCJ while I was out on my year abroad, and I didn't come back and feel like my only option was to leave. Because I was already having quite a bad time in uni, but I really felt like if I didn't receive that news, I probably would have stuck it out. Because it was one more year, right? It was one more year. But because I just felt like, oh, I was going to get into finance, you know, I had, and I, the kind of person I was at the time, I'd already had like a Lloyd summer internship in first year from where I'd worked the previous summer and they invited me back for another internship from all the internships I'd been doing from the age of 15. Like I was very clued on. But then, you know, when I heard that news about the CCJ, I was like, literally, I just, I just thought, what's the point? She's literally taking all of my hard work and throwing it down the drain. And even when we had the family meeting, she didn't care. Or maybe she cared, she didn't show it. And so, yeah, I guess sometimes I do wonder. I do, you know, I cry from time to time. I guess I I mourn what could have been. You know, maybe I could have been one of those people that bought a place in West Ham for 150k that's now worth like 400k. Or maybe, you know, at one point I wanted to go back and work in China. But I just honestly didn't see that happening because for me that CCJ was such a blocker. I couldn't get past that in my mind. I mean, now I would go back and tell that person then that, babe, listen, push the CCJ to the side. There's nothing you could do about that. But somebody, just keep looking, somebody will take you. But I just didn't, you know, I just felt like, what's the point? And then her attitude, our relationship really broke down during that year, but she'd gone through quite a lot herself. So... So, yeah, maybe my mum's not very emotional. She doesn't, she doesn't do emotions. So maybe she didn't know how to deal with it. I'm thinking. I, I guess so. So has your mum ever had um, an impact on your romantic relationships at all? Because sometimes they say you have to be cautious who you, you, you know, you don't just marry the person, but you also marry the person's family. Sometimes people say things like that. So has a, has a, yeah, what, what impact has she ever had in your personal romantic relationships? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So I left China maybe about a year after I met my ex, the, my then love of my life. So he isn't black. He's a different race. And so this was very foreign to him now he didn't know the extent of it so i believe i hid most of it but you know he's not dumb either and he would often sit me down and say listen this is not normal you you know you need to seek help she can't keep asking you for so much every now and again it's just too much um he you know i think towards the end when our relationship was beginning to break down you know he cited this as one of the reasons why it wouldn't work because you know, in his mind, and he was a very high earner. He thought that if we were to ever ever get married, my mum's problems would become his problems and he just couldn't ever envision a life where he would be frittering money away to someone that has no money management and can't manage themselves and can't basically be an adult and has no plan and has no savings. And yeah, and he said that honestly, he probably feels like 
I could go down the same route too. I am a spender, but I'm a cautious spender. Um, And at that time, I wasn't making a lot because I basically just left uni and I was trying to work my way up in like a marketing. So um, it did affect... I mean, it wasn't the entire reason why we broke down, but it played a big part. Even till today in my relationship, luckily, you know, my partner is a blessing, honestly. Like, same from God himself. He understands. It helps also that he's from, you know, the same cultural background as me. And... You know, he's seen some stuff in his past life, not necessarily to do with him, but in terms of his mum and his dad. And so he gets it. And so, um, you know, he'll... But mum still calls, because, yeah, she does She does still call. Um, we will discuss it. Um, and he'll often say, whatever you give her, you're giving her. You're not borrowing her. You're not lending her. Um, can we afford to do this right now? And he gets it, you know, he'll often still champion my mum. But it's nice when you feel like, or when, it's nice when I feel like, okay, it's not, it's not just me. But in saying that having a partner and knowing that at some point in the future I want to have children, can this behaviour still continue? I know that something has to change. So I guess maybe that's where I am at the moment. I can tell that this has like really impacted you. Like, have you like gone through like counselling or like therapy or like spoken to someone I'm still going through counselling and therapy. You know, my sister, my sisters, well, my friends, I'll call it sister circle. We um we have a sort of stand-in brunch day every month where we meet and, you know, clink, clink, and that's lovely. But actually, it's we have really open, honest conversations and everybody tables their matters without fear of judgment. And, you know, that's part of my therapy. I also do pay for therapy as well. Um, just because for me... You know, where I am right now is um, I'm trying to work through my resentment. I don't know if that will ever go. <sighs> I I don't know. Oh, I'm getting a bit emotional, but I, I don't know if that will ever go. I don't know if I want it to go. I think it's just how I deal with it or the, out, the outlook I choose to have. I think I had my first panic attack about it last year, but it's the fact that I'm aware she's getting older. She started to complain about, like, her joints and stuff. And she's also started talking about how she's tired of working and wants to quit. She can't quit. She doesn't have a pension. She doesn't have savings. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so I have to hold down the full-time job. I have to make sure my partner and I's relationship is strong and solid. It means time and investment, as any person with a partner knows. I then have to born children and look after them at some point and bring them up and try and give them the opportunities I never had all on this one salary. And then I have to, at some point, move my mother into my home because, you know, I'm Nigerian, we don't put our mothers in a care home, we don't do that. Move my mother into my home, knowing full well that she still has the same money management issues and how entitled she is. She's just going to be as equally, if not more entitled and equally, if not even even if not having worse or even worse money management issues. And that honestly gives me anxiety. Thinking back to like, you know, everything that we've discussed and like, you know, the whole situation, how much would you say that you've given her and what is the current situation with your mother like? You know what? I actually went back and looked at this not too long ago. I want to say it's probably over 40k. But because you don't do it at once, isn't it? And it's all over the years. You know, I'm in my early 30s now. So we've been in this for a minute. <laughs> we've been on this matter for a minute. 
It's family, isn't it, though? What wouldn't you do for family? So what's the current situation now? She's getting old. It's really sad, actually. In that she's getting older. So she's a bit aware that she's not been the best mother. And, you know, we have this saying in Yoruba that says, Iyaniwura, which translates as, your mother is gold. And I often tell her, you've not been gold to me. You've been like bitter leaf, just making my life sour. Um, and she, to be fair to her, she tries. She really tries. She really tries to, like, make an effort to get to know me. And make an effort to get to know my partner. But the problem is that trying now doesn't undo all the madness you've been doing over the past 15, 16, 20 years. Do you know what I mean? You you can't make up for that. Not too long ago, she was like, I'm really sorry for how I've treated you. And I was just so shocked that she could recognise a feeling that wasn't tied to her or that didn't belong to her. But I just didn't say anything. But in saying that, she'd have come to ask me the next day for, like, £4,000. So maybe that's what that was. I don't know. But, yeah, I fear now because when I have children, she will be around them. So for me, knowing what I've been through, it's the little things as when I have a little girl, a little boy, I'll take off all their jewellery before they go to grandma's house. Because to my knowledge, she's still pawns her gold. It's kind of a bit sad in a sense that you that you that you feel this way it's almost like you're you're seeing yourself as a as a sacrifice and I just want to thank you so much for being so open so honest you know and I'm sure there's there's a lot of people that are probably going through something so similar especially within non-western cultures as well so Africans there's also the um Asians etc that also go through similar things as us um, but yeah, thank you so much for telling us your story. It's just given us so much to reflect on. Thank you for having me. I hope it helps somebody to remove themselves and not feel guilty about it as well. Guys, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about like, you know, what our anonymous guest has just told us. Like, that probably has to be the craziest story that we've had on the podcast. Um, to me anyway. I'm going to be very honest and, you know, it's really sad that she's had to go through that. But, um, you know, she sounds really positive and sounds like she's working through it. But, wow. Obviously, we're going to cut to the questions really quickly and then we're going to round up. So, I, I, I guess I have one question for you guys. You know, obviously, because this is quite a public podcast and we ourselves aren't anonymous. So, try your best to answer. But, um, have you ever lent money to a family member? How did that turn out? Yeah, I have lent money to a family member probably been to my to my mum and I think it was during the time when she when she was made redundant and um, she used some of the redundancy money or she wanted to start up a business and because I was living at home so I always had like student loan money I was working part-time and I think she needed money for a ticket so I borrowed her uh, the money for the ticket and I thought because I and then I was glad she promised me before like a few months time she would pay the money back and um, yeah she didn't pay the money back and um, yeah I was very frustrated like, I was very I was very irritated 
I don't know if you were there. I can't remember if you were there actually, or I don't know. I think I remember. Yeah, um, I remember. I, I remember like I had some. I had an outburst or something like a really, really emotional yeah. outburst, and I was just saying like I'm not having the graduation I want because I've, I've, um, I've let my mum the money. It's just it's really it's really difficult. Like listen to what Farida is saying. Cause I don't know. I have some pent mm, up. It's like it yeah, I have some pente- mm. pent up frustrations, and it's it's difficult, you know, because I know how much our, our parents have spent on us on our education, and um, I know they could have done so much more with their own money if had they not sent us to put us through schools and stuff like that. So it's. I find it very difficult like when my mum does come to me in certain times obviously I've learned to say no because I have more responsibilities um, but yeah it's, I think I've I just learned since that time since that incident happened when I'm giving money to family members it's realising that um, I'm not borrowing or lending I'm just mm. I'm, I'm gifting the money out sure. um yeah, what about you, Ash? To be honest, I'm not gonna lie to you. From watching my experience with your mum, I feel like it's kind of made me the opposite. So when it comes to like lending money, I'm, I'm, I'll, you know, I'm always like I don't have it, or I'll see what I can do and stuff like that. I think I've only lent money in one instance, and to be honest, deep down, I was, ne- I knew I was never gonna get that money back. <laughs> I think I even tried to draw out a contract for how they're going to pay me back, but it just, it just, it never worked out. But I don't feel any resentment. Like, um, you know, I feel like I'm over it. And now I just don't borrow money to people. I only borrow money to people. No, I don't borrow money to people. I give money to people and that's it. Yeah. Because if you give, if you borrow money to people, honestly, that's potentially just maybe say bye-bye to the money and, and we should potentially be saying bye bye to that relationship as well. That's how I feel. But yeah, what about you, Eve? Um, no, actually, I haven't. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm lucky in the sense that my parents are quite. Uh, they sort themselves out in a lot of cases, um, so they've never really had to ask me for money in like desperate situations, etc. I've contributed for different things. So when, you know, when I was first at working, I used to pay for um, council tax in my mum's house when I was living there. Um, I've always wanted to, like, do nice things for her every now and again. But in regards to her asking me for money or my parents asking me for money, they, I don't think I can think of a time where they ever have, to be honest. I feel that there's so much more to say um on this topic, but I guess just conscious of time, um, I just want to kind of round up with a few things based on my own personal experiences or what we've had heard from Frida. I think um, the most important thing is um, being prepared to say no. Mm-hmm. And I know it's really, really tough to, it's easier said than done, you know, but what I've shared now on this podcast, I don't think none of my friends know, but I think me, Realizing, okay, this situation is normal, is actually just going on Twitter and going on social media and realizing that the dynamics you may have with your parents are not normal. And when you realize those dynamics are not normal, have empower yourself, yeah, empower yourselves to to say no, you know. And the other thing, um, 
yeah, a, per, a personal thing is is to yeah buy insurance with them, and I think um, do it sooner rather than later because you don't know what health complications may come up or, or whatever. Um, and I think the other important thing is realizing that sometimes some parents actually don't want to retire um, at retirement age, and so if they can, if they do want to delay their retirement, um, allow them to, you know. Um, and finally, um, depending on whether mm. where you're living, whether your parents own the place yeah, or not, true. and everyone has left the place consider downsizing you know if there's yeah honestly if or if they can't downsize maybe they can rent to to lodges like maybe people can stay with them and stuff Uh, but again it's how you feel about other people living with your parents but I think those are some of the things you can do I think it's very it's easier said than done Um, but yeah open to continue this conversation yeah we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode it's been emotional interesting um if as always if you have any other stories that you want to share or get off your chest i like to see this episode this podcast as like a form of talking therapy um yeah please do feel to reach out on our dms but yeah you just listen to another your real mind stories podcast bye You've just listened to an episode of Your Real Money Stories, an original podcast brought to you in association with Zopa. Who provide great value financial products and tools to make managing your money a lot easier. So make sure you subscribe and share with your friends who you think might have related to this episode. For more information and resources around the themes discussed in this episode, head over to zopa.com forward slash podcast. And of course, if you want to be on the next episode, make sure you slide into our DMs on Instagram at moneymedics.